ESPN LA 710. Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre and post game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. For more information, please go to ESPNLA.com and go to the podcast page uh, for the experience and download podcasts and all that good stuff. Today, we are talking heart health. According to the California Department of Health, cardiovascular disease claims more California lives than any other condition. The risk of cardiovascular disease increases threefold with each advancing decade. Women are at a higher risk after age 55, while men are at a greater risk after age 45. According to the American Heart Association, about 66% of cardiovascular deaths occur in people age 75 and older. Many people can prevent or minimize heart problems by making healthier choices and better managing their existing health conditions. There are many factors to keep in mind, including stress when it comes to heart care and lowering risk factors. February is American Heart Month. Dr. David Sook is a cardiologist located in Anaheim with Monarch Healthcare. He's here to talk about heart disease, lowering cardiovascular and stroke risk factors. Dr. Sook, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lafern. It's great to be here. Now, when we say heart health, what does that exactly mean? I know it, that might sound like a dumb question, but people are like, heart health, what? Well, everybody has a heart, obviously, and as we age, things can happen to (laughs) it. Uh, And cardiovascular diseases remains the number one cause of death uh, worldwide. And despite that, we've made tremendous gains in the last several decades trying to find out what are the things that increase your risk of having heart disease, developing heart disease later in life. Uh, And we found that there are many things we can do to help reduce that risk ahead of time. So uh, that's what we talk about when we talk about heart health is doing the right things, having right habits uh, and lowering our long-term risk of having heart disease. And then obviously, if you develop heart problems, taking routine medical care and following up with doctors to take care of that. Now, my mother, she had high cholesterol levels. I guess her liver automatically created extra cholesterol. So she had to watch her like what she ate. She couldn't have like fried foods and all of that. Um, Can you talk about that and why there is so much focus on weight and cholesterol levels? Yeah, of course. Well, cholesterol is one of those major things that we've found over the years uh, leads to increased risk of heart disease, specifically cholesterol deposits in the linings of the blood vessels all throughout your body. Cholesterol is a natural component and a necessary component of the way that our bodies work. But sometimes our bodies mishandle it, produce too much, don't get rid of enough of it. And so we talk about reducing those levels either through diet and exercise or sometimes through taking medicines that will reduce the cholesterol levels. But over time, if our cholesterol levels remain high, if they keep circulating in our blood too much, those can deposit in the linings of the walls. And the blood vessels are tubes. They are basically tubes and pipes that carry blood all throughout our body. And if the cholesterol deposits there, the linings or the inside of those tubes become narrowed and then blood flow gets restricted. And that's the major problem. And would you, as a cardiologist, would you go in and, what, chip away at the cholesterol or is that is that being naive? How do you get rid of that? No, that's not naive at all. 
So my particular specialty is actually dealing with patients who have uh, developed significant blockages in those arteries. Now, uh, there has been nothing, there, we have found nothing that is more effective than medications uh, in reducing uh, the plaque buildup in the first place uh, and in reducing the risk of death or major heart attacks related to those. Medicines are always going to be our first-line treatment. But there are some times when uh, a, a person will develop symptoms that one of their organs or a part of their body isn't getting enough blood flow. And we do have to go in and we have to open that up with a balloon or a stent or any number of procedures that we can do to do that. Okay, so you give them medication and they watch their diet. What happens with the cholesterol then? Is it released in the urine or where does it go? Uh, It's digested, uh, I believe, in the liver. You're going to take me back to medical school and my biochemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but essentially, your liver processes most of the cholesterol, and and then it just gets excreted along with uh, a million other substances uh, in the in the usual way. So, have you seen people like my mom who had just high cholesterol levels, where the, it just overproduced it, no matter what she ate? Yeah, cholesterol, what we call metabolism, the way that our body handles cholesterol, can be pretty complicated. Uh, there are things that have to do with diet and exercise, and then. Um, Things that have to do with genetics. Uh, some people's cholesterol just runs higher. Uh, and uh, it all gets very complicated. Uh, but in the end of the day, uh, the, the recommendations are typically the same. It's we try and control with diet and lifestyle and exercise. And if that doesn't do it, then we have a conversation about what is your risk of developing heart disease in the next 10 years or for the rest of your life. And if that risk is high enough, then we, we talk about whether it's worth the risk of being on a long-term medicine like a Lipitor or a Crestor or one of these cholesterol medicines to help control that. Dr. Suk, do you find a lot of athletes have cardiovascular disease or high cholesterol levels? So high cholesterol levels, sometimes because of genetics, can be found in anybody, even young athletes. Uh, The question is whether uh, it becomes a significant issue. Um, I have uh, seen a few young patients, a few young athletes, uh, for various conditions, uh, and luckily, uh, in general, they are at lower risk than the uh, than the average population, mostly because of the benefits of age. It helps to be young. Uh, being physically active and being healthy, that also helps a lot. Yeah, if only I could turn back time <laughs> to be young again. <laughs> yeah, but it's true, it's like after... Right. I know. Because if you do, it's like when you're younger and you take care of yourself, you don't realize when you, you know, get in your 40s or whatever that it sometimes it hurts to get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. True. That as we get older, things get a little bit more difficult and it, it does help to be young. Yes. So, Dr. Souk, I know you talked about your family history. What about race and ethnicity and how does that play a key role in health today? No, not in particular. Race and ethnicity in some ways, uh, when it comes to medical issues, is really more a question of genetics and family history. And unlike what uh, a lot of my patients think, where they think that a a third uncle on the mother's side uh, had some heart disease and so they're at increased risk, it's usually much more local than that. And it has to do with your parents, your siblings, maybe your grandparents. Um, but race and ethnicity really doesn't play a part in it. How about income? Income level. Uh, so, 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 sociology now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, it's not my particular area of expertise, but as we all know, income level um, has to do with any number of other things that can affect health. And so it's not really just the income. It's, it's all these other things. Uh, Dr. Souk, let's talk about some things that we can do as maybe a weekend warrior or, you know, just someone that is um, not as athletic as an athlete, how they can take care of their heart. Yeah, that's a great question. So the best way is to build up healthy habits. Um, The cornerstone of uh, good heart habits uh, is daily exercise. Um, or as close to daily as we can get. The current recommendations is about 30 minutes a day for five days per week, or about 150 minutes per week. It's, that can sound pretty daunting. So you, you, if, if that's not something that's part of your routine already, it's something you should start slowly and to build up that habit. Uh, it's always easiest to build up the habit with doing things that you naturally enjoy, that you have fun with. So if you like playing tennis uh, or if you like playing golf, if you like running, if you like hiking, do those things first because that's going to be the easiest way to uh, build that habit and maintain it. Um, Say you're not very physically active. Maybe you have a dog. Take that dog out for longer walks. Uh, Say you don't have a dog. Find a friend and go out on a walk and start making a habit and make a routine of it. Now, what about um, for women? I know there's a lot of active information going out about women's heart health. Are, are there anything that women have to specifically look out for? That's a great question. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been noticed that over the years that women may have different symptoms and different presentations when they develop heart disease uh, compared to the stereotype that happens with men. Um, and so one of the things that women need to be aware of, uh, especially as they get older, uh, past menopause is that uh, when uh, that uh, signs and symptoms of a heart attack may be different for them compared to men. So whereas men might have chest pain and chest discomfort, uh, feel like an elephant is sitting on their chest, a woman might say that they uh, feel nauseous or they have abdominal discomfort or they just all of a sudden feel extremely weak and fatigued. Um, and so that's one important distinction where knowledge can save lives. And what what should we do if we should feel any of these symptoms besides call 911 or go directly to the emergency room? Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's it's the knowledge of knowing when to seek medical attention, because a lot of times people say, I'm not having chest pain. This is probably just going to pass. But if it's severe symptoms and you just don't feel right and you know something is wrong, it's worth going to the hospital because it, it, it could be something serious like that. Yes, absolutely. So we talk about, you know, getting your diet right. You're, you control your portion sizes. You make sure you don't eat a lot of fried foods. You get some exercises. What are some other tips to uh, maintaining healthy heart health? Healthy heart health, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so diet, just like exercise, is, is also fundamental. Uh, what we eat makes a big difference in things like cholesterol. Uh, and as we're finding out, just a, a long-term risk of developing other health problems. Um, there's a lot of information about diet out there. And it must be clear that dietary science uh, is a tricky thing um, because it requires people to keep really good track of what they eat. And, you know, sometimes it's just hard to remember what you ate yesterday, let alone two weeks ago. Um, but what we do know is that everything in moderation is a good rule. 
uh, and they're uh, and if you're trying to focus on certain things, fruits, vegetables are always very good for you. Um, and if that is uh, comprises a large portion of your diet, then that's even better. Whole grains are great. And then avoiding um, uh, high cholesterol foods and foods that are high in saturated fats, uh, things like red meat, uh, fried foods, and so on. Do you find that a lot of your patients at uh, Monarch Health Care are doing that, are, are actively looking at how many trans fats and um, having more vegetables? Do you find that more and more people are doing that versus like when you first started as a doctor? Yeah. I, I do. Um, I've noticed that over the last five years um, that the trend has definitely shifted um, where uh, these sorts of things used to be um, in sort of only the people who are very uh, vigilant and diligent uh, about these things and have spread to the uh, general population, these ideas of eating healthy. Uh, and I think that that's a testament to the success that we've made uh, in awareness and, and talking about these issues. Let's talk about pre- prevention education. Uh, a, a friend said to me the other day that she likes preventive health care. And a lot of people weren't raised like that. Like if you're older, you weren't raised in preventive health care. You only go to the doctor if something is really, really wrong or just rub, rub some rubber testing on it, right? Like they say, it's <laughs> like, well, what do you do? Like, what type of prevention education have you seen that elevated the minds of people to actually be an active participant in their health? Right. I mean, a lot of this happens outside of the office in terms of patients that are taking agency of their own health uh, and realizing that there are things that they can do uh, to prevent them from having to go to the doctor in 10, 20, 30 years. My particular specialty is opening up those arteries once you get clogged, but if I never had to see another one of those patients again, that would be a fantastic thing because that would mean that, the, that patients, people are getting healthier. And, you know, as we know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So the biggest things are laying the foundation of healthy habits, everything that we talked about, exercise, diet, following up with your, uh, uh, for your annual physical exam to get screened for common health conditions like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, that later in life can really increase your risk of heart disease if they're not treated. So th- those are the main things. Dr. Sook, you mentioned this is what you went to school for. Why did you choose cardiovascular health? Well, I think that the heart is by far the most fascinating organ in the body. And it's just been a tremendous amount of development uh, in the last uh, 50 to 70 years of finding out what it is, how it works, uh, how does it, how do things go wrong and how can we fix it? And we've developed all these really fantastic and cool tools uh, that we that we have in place now at our at just our local hospitals that can treat uh, things that used to that we just couldn't in the past and used to just kill people. My my father unfortunately passed away from heart health issues. Uh, like he had a pacemaker. Can you talk about the pacemaker? And what I mean, are you able to speak to about the pacemaker and what it does and how it's advanced? Sure. Yeah. First of all, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, pacemakers are uh, pacemakers are devices um, that exist to treat problems with the electrical system of the heart. The heart is just a pump. It's a pump made of uh, muscles and different chambers uh, that pump in uh, a coordinated effort uh, to get blood out to the rest of your body. And the way that it coordinates the way that it pumps uh, is through electrical signals. 
And just like the heart muscle can uh, have problems, just like the plumbing that feeds blood to the muscles can have problems, uh, the electrical signals can also have problems. So if you have a problem with electrical signals where uh, it is too slow, then that's something where we don't have medications to, uh, that will help that, and we have to put in a pacemaker. Okay, so he had a pacemaker put in, and then the doctor was saying, like, maybe a couple years late, no, a year later, he, he, the doctor was saying that his heart would pump, one vessel would push, and the other one didn't have enough to push. Am I, do you know what I'm talking about? So it's like um, pump, and then... The other vessel was like, shh, mm. as though it didn't have enough to pump the heart. Uh, I really, I don't know. <gasps> Dr. Sook, you should read my mind and know what my, di- my dad's history, right? <laughs> I, was, no, I just but... need a couple, you're going to give me a couple more letters. Get, right. Give me a couple vowels here. <laughs> so, um... I guess um, what you were talking about, how the pacemaker makes your heart pump, right? And makes it go in rhythm. Well, when one would pump, the other was not strong enough and it would go whoosh. So it wasn't enough pressure to keep the heart pumping. Does okay. that sound familiar? Did he have a, did, did he have a valve problem? Yes. Thank you. See, I knew you could read my mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, so another part of the heart uh, is valves, and these are uh, openings that uh, connect the different chambers of the heart. They open up when blood has to pass through, and then they close up uh, when yes. the heart squeezes to prevent flow from going backwards. Um, and these doorways or valves uh, can have issues too. So it sounds like your father might have had an issue with uh, a, a narrowed valve, and any of the valves can have that problem. Um, uh, the most common, uh, the most common valve to develop this is called the aortic valve. And it is the last valve, uh, of the heart before the blood exits to the body. Um, and as patients get older, just from the consequence of, uh, thousands and thousands of millions and millions of heartbeats and blood going through that valve, it can develop calcium. It can get narrowed and then it needs to get fixed. So there's no... Some people can have surgery and others can't. Is that correct? To fix those? So valves? surgery. So so until recently, surgery was the mainstay and pretty much the only option for fixing this, and that required open heart surgery. Uh, but again, this was a disease of patients getting much older. So we had a lot of patients that were 80, 90 years old, uh, 70 years old with a lot of other health problems, and so that question became very tricky. But uh, one of the most amazing advances in the last uh, five to ten years is the development of um, artificial valves that we can put in uh, minimally invasively by putting by going through one of the big blood vessels uh, uh, in the legs, and uh, so that just involves a needle puncture into the artery, a hole that's about a centimeter in size, and then we can put in a brand new valve, and patients can sometimes go home the next day. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Because my father, he was an athlete and, you know, he walked every day around the park and he was very, very active. So that, I mean, that explains a lot, you know, as you get older, these things develop. How can, like, how can we, 
like when we're visiting you, Dr. Sook, what would we see in get, getting a health screening so we know if our valves are working properly and our heart is, you know, clear of cholesterol? Yeah. So one of the most important things when I talk to patients is that if you're feeling good, then you are probably good. Um, so staying active, being able to maintain a good amount of aerobic exercise is the best sign for us doctors that you are doing fine, that your heart is working appropriately. Now, we understand that sometimes um, other issues can be lurking underneath, and that's why we'll do a physical exam. We'll listen to your heart. We'll do an EKG, and, and we'll look for some of these things. Um, but just as um, uh, athletes are just like any other person, and sometimes they can have these issues lurking underneath, they're extremely rare. Uh, but if you start feeling some new symptoms, that's something we're talking to your doctor about. Uh, but uh, luckily, if you're young, you're healthy, you're active, and you're feeling good, then most likely your doctor is going to say that you're doing just fine. Awesome. Um, so tell us, uh, what would we expect when we go in, like, when we come into you, Dr. Sook? Is it, do you have to do a stress test or does someone have to get on a treadmill? <laughs> well, it all depends on why you're coming to see me. Um, say that you're coming to see me and you have uh, concerns because multiple family members had heart attacks uh, in, at a very young age, 30 or 40 or 50, and you're, you're approaching that age. Then we'll talk about your risk factors. We'll look at some of the blood tests for cholesterol, uh, diabetes, things like that. Uh, we'll talk about how you've been feeling, and then um, we'll talk about different potential screening tests that we could do. Uh, and then what that would mean for your potential care. Obviously, there's a lot of ways that that conversation can go, more ways than I could probably discuss about here, but um, that's why we're here is to talk about those things. Yes. Um, so what are you, uh, Dr. Sook, and um, Monarch Healthcare, what are you guys doing for American Heart Month this February? Oh, I think we're doing about the same thing that we that we do every month. Every month for us is 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 heart is heart health month. So again, it's the major things. It's making sure that everybody, regardless of their age or their health history, is doing the best they can with the exercise, uh, best they can with uh, eating a good healthy diet, um, and making sure that we're doing the routine recommended health screenings uh, for. Uh, blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, and other health diseases that could increase your risk over the long term of developing heart disease. What about diabetes? You mentioned that. How does that affect your body and your chances of, you know, getting cardiovascular disease? Yeah. Unfortunately, diabetes is one of the major risk factors for developing uh, vascular disease later in life or uh, disease of the blood vessels. Uh, diabetes just has a knack for causing damage there. Um, so it's something that we're very uh, sensitive to. We try and treat the diabetes as and control it as well as we can. Uh, but in the long term, the risk of developing uh, uh, vascular problems, heart uh, blood vessel problems or heart problems uh, and other issues um, is unfortunately higher. Now, um, there are some people that have a high amount of stress on their job. Can you talk about how stress can uh, factor into cardiovascular disease? Yeah, high stress is is uh, is is no good for anything at all. 
Um, there isn't any direct correlation between stress and developing uh, specific heart problems. But I always encourage my patients uh, to try and limit their stress as much as possible. Um, and unfortunately, there's no good medicine for this. This is something uh, that we all struggle with and that we all try and find our own ways of coping with. Luckily, one of the things that's really helpful for this is regular daily exercise. And that's it, right? Exercise yeah. and watching your food. It's that simple. Yeah. But some people want to make it difficult, right? Well, it's hard to develop new habits. And then, of course, everybody has their opinion of what the best way is. But in my opinion, um, just trying and making the effort uh, is just so important because developing those habits, the habits are the most important thing. Uh, instead of uh, uh, being really microscopic in, in how you're doing it and what you're doing, just trying making those habits is the most important thing. How can you increase or improve blood flow to your heart? Uh, well, there isn't any uh, specific way. Uh, usually, you're just trying to maintain a normal amount of blood flow to the heart. Uh, we're just trying to keep our heart, uh, uh, the engine of our body, running in uh, just a regular way. Have you seen people that meditate heal better? There are connections between the mind and body. We do know that there are incredible individuals that just through meditation alone can lower their heart rate to extremely low levels and decrease their body temperature and do all these amazing physiological things just through the power of their mind and through meditation. So we do know that exists. But for the, for the regular uh, person, I wouldn't recommend it as a means of curing diseases. I do, from time to time, talk to patients uh, who do meditate, and, and they do talk about all the many benefits for it. I can't say in particular that it can help with heart health, but I would definitely feel comfortable saying that it doesn't hurt. Now, Dr. Suk, you gave us a lot of great tips today. Um, can you re please review them so we can go on our February American Heart Health Month? Yeah, it's important to know that heart disease remains the number one cause of death uh, worldwide. And there are many things that we can do to help lower our risk in the long term of developing heart problems. So the key things are, number one, getting regular daily exercise, 30 minutes a day, five days a week, uh, doing something that you enjoy and developing good habits. Number two is eating healthy. Fruits and vegetables are awesome. Uh, whole grains are good. Avoiding uh, the, the negative stuff like saturated fats and high cholesterol foods. And then finally is uh, going to go see your primary doctor regularly for uh, annual checkup and getting screened for diseases that can increase your risk of uh, developing long-term heart disease. Thank you. I'm going to go out and shop for some more green vegetables and all that good <laughs> stuff with no trans fats, right? Right, right. Dr. Sook, if anyone would like to know more about your practice and uh, more about Monarch Healthcare, how can they do that? So you can certainly go online and find us. Um, we would be happy to, to, to see you. Dr. David Suk, thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise. Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm Laferne Cusack, and this is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.